Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Malachi. The easiest way to find it is come to Matthew chapter 1 and turn back one page. Malachi chapter 2. And we're taking up the reading from verse 10. A series of questions are asked and there's this engagement, a dialogue between the prophet and the people of God under the heading Judah unfaithful and a very sobering reading it is chapter 2 verse 10 have we not all one father did not one God create us why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, May the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accept them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is the Lord that is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his, and why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So, guard yourself in your spirit, and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And I hate a man's covering self with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Well, I think you'll agree this is not an easy uh, reading publicly and with some of you whom I personally have been involved in trying to help through uh, broken relationships it would be quite easy for you to feel quite threatened so I hope that we'll be able to put this into its context then and try to apply it to ourselves here today as then, so now, we are living in still uh, a male-dominated culture and society in thinking, in prejudice. And uh, I want a picture to come up now just to open this up a bit. Does that uh, say anything to you? Yes, it's not only in sport, in marriage, and sometimes uh, the inappropriate behavior of men in terms of relationship with women is still a big issue. 
Of course we are equal, but for sure we are different. And even in our egalitarian society, attitudes of prejudice towards women in particular is still very prevalent. And that picture has a lot to say, hasn't it? Uh, we can move it now, I think. As, um, right, we'll get into the sermon. But it shows uh, how this prejudice can spill over into unhelpful behavior and polarize uh, relationships. Our focus is not in the sporting context, but it's in the home, in family, and uh, in particular in marriage and society. So this is the third uh, sermon that we have in Malachi. And, and the prophet now is raising a series of issues. We've looked at uh, disillusionment. Uh, people are looking at the church, if you like, or the, the organized religion of their day. And people felt thoroughly disillusioned. And then even within the church, if you like, those who are practicing and participating in various forms of religious worship and commitment, there is a prevailing shallowness. There is a culture of superficiality. People don't uh, want to go too deep and want to keep uh, relationships at every level on the surface. And that brings us now to the issue of marriage. And there is a sense of progression here. Now, Malachi's approach is to, to dialogue and to debate. And in a way, though I'm speaking and you're listening, nonetheless, there should be issues that come to you and, and, and opportunity for you personally and us collectively to think and respond. I want to quote to you, first of all, from the, the, the commentary, uh, as it, and it, say, it says this. It's the message of the prophet, and it's putting it in a general sense, first of all, and it's this. It is never an easy task to deal with indifference. I mean, if your children are not interested in doing their homework, and you say, if you don't do your homework, you're not going to pass your exams, and they say, I don't care. It's not easy, is it? Or if somebody's having extramarital affair and you say, you know, that's not right. I don't care. Indifference is a very powerful thing in lots of contexts. And its consequence, however, is to slide towards the breakdown of relationship. And the commentator says this. Let me quote to you. When people cease to care, therefore it's a consequence of indifference, religion... Morality, social customs and values all cease to function as the mortar, the cement, if you like, that holds together a society and maintains an ancient faith. And in Malachi's time, uh, certain religious fundamentals were doubted. Think of the issue of doubt a moment ago. Does God really love Israel? Is there a sense of justice in this world? These doubts began to affect the areas of life in Israel. For example, the priesthood. People treated the priesthood with disdain. 
Now think of our society. Immediately we make the, 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 if you like, almost the quantum leap to where we are today. What do people think of the church? What do you think about priests and pastors and so on? Religion and worship lost its integrity because of the leaders. They used to say before the Reformation, like priest, like people. And then the moral casualty, the intermarriage, which became common. And that's the context now in which um, Malachi is speaking. Though you can see already it resonates with our society today. And this is some 400 years before the, the coming of the Lord Jesus. This gap between the Old and the New Testament as we understand it. So an atmosphere then of indifference has developed and it has uh, consequences within any society, not least ours as then. I mean, if somebody was to say, look, if you're not going to balance your income and expenditure, you're going to get into debt. If somebody says, well, I don't care. Or if you don't stay faithful in your marriage, you're going to grow apart. Would you say, I don't care? And if it would end in divorce, would you say, so what? That is monumental indifference. And I doubt whether, even if I'm overstating the case, I doubt whether any of us would even want to echo that. Indifference is a powerful thing. And it's hard to define. You see its consequences. Indifference, therefore, produces these destructive consequences within a society generally and within individual families. I want to quote to you from uh, the, the chief rabbi of Great Britain, Sir Jonathan Sachs. But you would think that this, what I'm going to quote to you, would come from any evangelical pulpit. This is what he said. Almost all of Britain's social problems are caused by the loss of religion. Society without religion disintegrates and people succumb to depression, stress, disorders of all kinds, alcohol and drug abuse. He was saying that before 650 bishops and their spouses at Canterbury. Sir Jonathan Sachs went on to say this that a society that has lost its religion has lost, quote-unquote, graciousness. Relationships break down, marriage grows weak, families become fragile, communities atrophy, and the result is that people feel vulnerable and alone. Mother Teresa said in the slums of Calcutta that the worst poverty was loneliness. So whether we're in the higher echelons of society, in the millionaire row, or in the skids of Calcutta, loneliness is a haunting thing. And it may well be the modern poverty that seems to grip people's lives today. And then he went on to say this. That is, that is where we are. He said that mankind was living through one of the most fateful ages of change since Homo sapiens first 
set foot on God's earth. And then he went on just finally and then we'll come back to the subject. Globalization and the new information technologies were fragmenting the world, and he says this quote-unquote, into small sects of like-minded people. You think of those, that, that unfortunate businessman in that airport in, in Moscow and those other uh, people who were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. The product of small sects of like-minded people the sanctity of human life is being desecrated by terror that stalks the land increasingly. Well, let's come back then. If, if, if whatever you make of Sir Jonathan Sachs speaking to uh, those bishops and their wives, it has something to say as to how we form ourselves into a, a religious community, into a fellowship of God's people, and how we relate to our society, and how we think about the future of our young people as well. So the situation in Malachi's day, in chapter 2, verse 10 to 16, is very similar. Now, anybody who's read who knows a little bit of the background of verses 10 to 16, will know it is notoriously difficult to interpret. So what I would like to do uh, is to have one big heading and then one conclusion. The big heading is this, that he is giving a challenge to renew the covenant, challenging God's people to renew the covenant. You see this in verse 10, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it, he speaks to the general, to the nation, to the individual. And he speaks to the family and he speaks to married couples. Have we not all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? As we break faith with God, our relationship with him is eroded. So ultimately down the line, our relationships with each other is eroded. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a very high regard, a high esteem for marriage. And it was seen as a parallel to that, and it's brought into the New Testament, as you know, as a relationship between Christ and the church, God and his people, man and woman. So marriage is a big deal, big deal. And always you say it should not be entered upon lightly or unadvisedly, but thoughtfully, reverently, and so forth. The words of caution and, and to hold back and to be sure if you're entering into this most awesome sacred covenant. But it's also a picture of our relationship, our covenant with God. Now, if you know a little of the Old Testament, like Deuteronomy 24 and, and in the New Testament, that uh, divorce was permitted under certain conditions. And implicit in that remark, if divorce was legitimate, so was remarriage. So per se, in and of itself, it isn't something that is wrong. But the concept of the covenant is not only a personal thing. We don't beat ourselves up because maybe our relationships in our family or ourselves have, have broken up and, and uh, have grown apart. What about a family? What about society? What about the, 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 the order of the day in which we live, the religion that we have? Here's a, here are two sentences which try to crystallize what I'm trying to say. The first is this. As the covenant of faith lay at the heart of Israel's spiritual life 
so too the covenant of marriage lay at the heart of Israel's social life. And you can't separate the one from the other. Your marriage isn't just you, a private love affair with you and your spouse. No, no. It's part of society. It's very popular to change the rules or discard them. But there are always consequences. And so the erosion of marriage, as you have it in verse 10, is seen as a break of faith. A break of faith with God. So, verse 11, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, priest or prince, no, no, he will be cut off from the tents of Jacob. Jacob, the twelve tribes of Israel, the covenant people. Now, this is not incipient racism. You'll remember, and it may be worth looking in the book of Ruth. Let's turn to the book of Ruth for a moment. Um, it's page 267 in your Bibles. Just to see this, because it has a very important lesson to give us, while the potential to be misunderstood here is very great. Uh, the book of Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16 you'll know the, the, the story I hope we did this series recently Sunday evenings the, the marriage of um, Naomi's daughters Ruth is one Oprah is the other and the two sons have died and there's this discussion that Naomi's going back to her people and in verse 16 or verse, verse 15 look said Naomi your sister-in-law is going back to her people and back to her gods. Go back with her. This point name is disillusioned with the God of Israel, for sure. Verse 16. But Ruth replied, and what a statement this is. It's not necessarily about marriage, but it is about covenant. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord, the covenant God, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And of course, you know the subsequent accounts. It's worth reading the book of Nate, which is a little tract among the, the immorality of that period in the book of Judges of covenant love. And she meets Boaz. She's a Moabitess. He's an Israelite. And through that you trace, if you read the first chapter in Matthew, the lineage to the birth of Jesus Christ. So it's not racism. It's the idea of a covenant with the living God, whoever we are, whatever our nation. And the covenant is broken. You see also, if you come back to uh, Malachi uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, these, these broken, broken vows are now seen in raw emotion. That the broken vows are seen in broken hearts, damaged lives, shattered relationships, and disillusioned people. But just, just look at... Uh, verse um, uh, 13 and 14. Another thing you do, 
You flood the altar with your tears. Now it's not quite sure whether it is these the tears, the wives, the older uh, wives who have been abandoned. Well, the men choose younger ones. It's, it's, it's not sure. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to you. often accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Why? And the answer is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. It may be purely and simply this, that here's a man whose wife is older, now he wants a younger one. And he's rewriting the rules. That's a very prevalent thinking in our society. And it comes back to that picture that we have of the prejudice of a male-dominated society in various pockets. Shattered hearts, damaged lives, broken relationships. And now you pose the question, well, where is God in all of this? Is he indifferent? Does he care? Yes, he does care. No, he is not indifferent. Is he a spectator? No, he isn't. And so verse 16 is it's a benchmark, isn't it? Now I know it comes to us and it seems to almost grip us because we know people whom we love within our own families who've gone through the trauma of divorce. And you may well echo, yes, I too. I hate it. And there are people here whose children and grandchildren still suffer the consequences of broken marriages within families. People are no longer talking to each other and the casualties get greater. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with a garment, says the Lord Almighty. Now, and again, that's, that's not easy to interpret here. We'll come to that in a moment. The point is not to say to make divorce impossible, Nor is the point to isolate and give a hard time to the divorcees. Sometimes, divorce is the only solution. It's the only solution, if solution is the word. And people who have been through it will be the first to say divorce is always sad. And the casualties have to be lived with the consequences, the breakup of relationships. But the point that Malachi is pursuing here is this, that it is grievous in the extreme when divorce is taken lightly, when people are actually indifferent towards it. Now, as I say, this passage is, is, is tricky and I don't want to impose my, my views on this. It's just trying to struggle with you. You join me with it. But we tend to think, don't we, that unfaithfulness means um, sexuality or being uh, unfaithful towards, towards your wife and having an affair. That's what we tend to think. And it is quite possible, as I've said, that some of these men around Malachi's day were divorcing their wives and they wanted a younger wife. But the point that he's pursuing here, and stay with me, and it's this. Being unfaithful is much more than that. It is that, but it is much more than that. And here's the difficult issue. How were 
men treating their wives. If you look again at verse 16, and, uh, you see there's this reference, covering himself with violence as well as with a garment. Now, if you go back to the book of Ruth, when eventually Boaz makes a proposition to Ruth, he covers her with a garment. It's covering his ownership. Well, what is he saying here in Old Testament language? To own somebody with violence. What about domestic abuse? I hate people who clothe themselves with injustice is another translation. The language suggests that men had been unjust and violent to their wives. So evangelicals who have a high view of the Bible have to ask, when is divorce necessary? Is it only purely in the grounds of unfaithfulness? What about emotional, physical abuse? And how do you know? And it's all too common and sadly, may I say, sadly, even in churches today. None of us are immune from that. So you see what he's doing. He's a very brave preacher in many ways. Uh, and, and no wonder these prophets are seen as rather abrasive. They're not, they're, they're not polished speakers. They're, they're going for the jugular. They, they are dealing with issues that people find uncomfortable. And he is saying it is grievous when people take marriage lightly. And if you take marriage lightly, you take divorce lightly. If you have a high view of marriage, then you would recoil from divorce. Well, that's what he's after. Let's come to the, 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 a brief um, application and, and conclusion. Come to verse, verse 16 again. And indeed, it says there in verse 15, this is repeated. All right, what, what is our response? You think about it in the nation. You think of the erosion of society. You think of the future of your children. You look at your extended family. Okay, but get personal here. So at the end of verse 15 it says, well, what's, what's the application? It, the application is this. Guard yourself in your spirit, in your heart, in the very essence of your being. You guard yourself there. And do not break faith with the wife of your youth. You can never prove what you've prevented, can you? Maybe a sermon like this, uncomfortable though it is, may result in the healing of a relationship or perhaps a deepening understanding of how divorce had to happen. And you have it in verse 16, it's repeated. So, guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith. Do not break faith. So this is, this is a call to all of us, all of us, married or single, young or old. It's not only to the married, but it is a call to the married to say this, look, be careful, don't be casual. In the privacy of your marriage relationship, don't be casual, don't take people for granted. But equally... It is a call to us, not only to the married, but to the divorced, if you like, and it's this. Don't become a casualty. If on the one hand the married are casual, and if you stay like that, you become the casualty. And you grow apart under the same roof. And so what does he say? Look, this is our society. What are we going to do? 
blame the politicians, complain about society, talk about the NHS. It's so prevalent, isn't it? But, but he loved none of it. No, no. Yes, all of those things. We live with imperfection, of course. What are you to do? This is what you're to do. Guard your heart. Keep the faith. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Do you see, do you see the implication? It's so easy to fudge, isn't it? Guard yourself. Return to God. Renew the covenant. Don't blame other people. Don't blame the priests. Don't blame the politicians. Don't blame society. Guard yourself. Guard yourself. See what he's saying. So easy, isn't it? We are to respond to God's call. That's his clarion call. We can do that. We can do that. Wherever we are. So, the application, finally. Faithful in our relationships. That's the call. Are you? Truly? Is that how you are seen? Faithful in all our relationships. For example, if you're married, let's start there. In your marriage, what does it mean here to guard your spirit? Well, it means this, to be loving. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And we are to be a mirror of that love. And if we are harsh and indifferent in our relationships, then we should repent and ask God for mercy and ask our partners for forgiveness. In your marriage, be loving. Don't, don't be indifferent. I think we understand that. And in your home, be forgiving. Think of homes, your own, where there is so much unforgiveness, so many unresolved conflicts. So, don't be resentful. That's up to you now. Don't. Don't. This is the way the prophet speaks, of course. And in your work, So Jonathan Sachs says the casualty within society is an absence of graciousness. And there's a culture of cynicism that seems to overshadow it. And it's hard, isn't it? Very hard not to be taken along with that, to advocate double standards. So, in your work, be gracious. Don't be cynical. And we're here now. And in our worship, and by the way, listening to God's word is pure worship. In our worship, be sincere. Be sincere. Don't be hypocritical. Don't. You can do that. How do you do that? You do it with the final sentence that the prophet gives, and it's this. Guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. This is our calling in our society. And it's hard, but it's possible. And it is possible as you guard yourself in your spirit, 
and you don't break faith. You keep the faith. 